found in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 39. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks.
Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Kings and queens, he cried, we have all been blind. We are only beginning to see where we are. From up there, I've seen it all. Ettinsmuir, Beavis Dam, the Great River, Care Paravel, and the sun shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. Well, that, of course, as you know, is Farsight the Eagle from The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis's final book in the Narnia series. So we're talking this morning about hope, eternal and ultimate hope, as we look at these words in the last phrase of the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we ground this phrase in the incredible passage that we've just heard from Moira. I can almost hear Paul banging his fist as he wrote this. Van Gogh used to tear the paper with his pencils as he was doing his sketches. And I can imagine Paul with his reedy scribe's pen doing the same thing with his parchment. So we're going to hear three stories this morning to help us imagine and understand the life everlasting. More on C.S. Lewis in a moment. And then let's add in his great friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, and a writer called John, who was a great mate of Jesus. But first, hope. What is hope? How do we define it? A sunrise, a rainbow, birdsong in battle, the prospect of new life across the channel, a weak smile to a friend crushed by grief. Hope is a very easy thing to talk about when the going is good, but take the week that we've just had and add in a personal demon or two, and it's a very different story. C.S. Lewis was an infantry officer in the Great War, and at the time, a vehement atheist. All that he saw fueled his belief that there was no God and nothing to believe in. His own mother had died from cancer when he was nine, and there really was no place for God in his life. His great friend, J.R. Tolkien, himself a second lieutenant in the Lancashire Fusiliers, who took part in the Battle of the Somme, was very influential in C.S. Lewis coming to faith at the age of 33 in 1931. The two were kindred spirits in Oxford, writing about what they knew of faith. C.S. Lewis writing more openly and Tolkien writing less obviously in his trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. In hope, our reading says, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What well, Tolkien wrote powerfully about hope. The hobbits, Frodo and his accomplice, Samwise Gamgee, are little people. And yet, when they take up their part in the story, they make a difference. The situation is hopeless, to deliver a dangerous ring back to its home, Mount Doom, facing all kinds of evil on the way. Yet Tolkien writes about the reality of hope in the darkness. Even the smallest person can make a difference, he says through Lady Galadriel. 
in the passage from Romans, we hear, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for whatever they have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. It makes me smile to think that Storm Arwen has been wreaking havoc this weekend. And as all of you avid Lord of the Rings uh, readers and viewers know that uh, she has a starring role in the film as well as being a storm. But even nature speaks to us because uh, I just noticed a sense of clarity this morning that comes after a storm. There's a storm and then the clarity after it that just seemed to me this morning to be another sign of hope. We have such a great need and thirst for hope in the darkness. So on to our third storyteller, John, and he describes a city and a tree when trying to help us understand the new heaven and the new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, John says in chapter 21 of Revelation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I see the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with him and they will be his people. And then this great promise of hope, death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Well, there's plenty of detail in Revelation and elsewhere in the Bible about the eternal city. Well, there won't be a temple and there won't be any priests. But there is a tree of life. And there, the Bible refers back to the Garden of Eden. And this tree and this garden are signs and symbols of hope. Belief in everlasting life is a hallmark of being a Christian. It's a really distinctive mark of our faith. But what is life everlasting? We say we believe in the life everlasting, but, but what is it? Well, I turned to the great Alistair McGrath, and uh, he, said, he suggests that we say eternal life instead to simplify it. Well, what's eternal life? <laughs> great, thanks, Alistair. But he does unpack it. So for some of us, the idea of going on and on and on is, is either great or awful. Um, so Alistair McGrath takes us back to the Greek for a little bit of clarification. So what it is not, the use of the word eternal life, so life in this respect, is not a continuation of our biological life. You have to think instead transformation. So don't think life as biological life, think life as transformation, if we go back to the root of the Greek in this instance. And eternal doesn't mean throughout all time, it means outside of time. So if we go back to the roots of the phrase eternal life, what we're really talking about is something that is not life after death, it's life before death. We're talking about transformation that is 
outside of time. Life before death, not life after death, because there's also an element in the Greek that says we can start this journey now. So my own absolutely terrible and tragic translation of this is, I believe that through Jesus, I can be transformed and that one day I will be with him outside of time and that this change can start now. So we can sum it up in the word hope. And let's just add on the prefix of eternal hope. So let's go with eternal hope this morning. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me will never die, he declares. Death is not the end. When we're born again as believers, that carries on and on and on. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, he says. Yet all these promises come with a gift of faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Okay, a final word on Advent. It is Advent 1 today. Hooray! So this is the way we herald the hope of the birth of Christ. So back to our third storyteller for a moment and this wonderful phrase at the beginning of his first book. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This baby was born to die, yet it's through Jesus' resurrection that the world had breakthrough. Well, we've just had Black Friday, but my little brain twister for you this morning is that I always think that Good Friday should be Black Friday, and that Black Friday should be Goods Friday. So you can think about that for the rest of the day. So the creed opened with a statement of faith, and it ends with a statement of hope that one day we will stand in the presence of that same God. We will be where Jesus is now. Sometimes it's very difficult to look life in the face and call down hope. But that is what we're doing when we say together the words of the creed and we encourage each other when we say, we believe. All shall be well, says the 14th century mystic Julian of Norwich. All manner of things shall be well. And right at the end of the creed, there's the Amen which turns the creed not just into a declaration of, of what we believe in, into a prayer. I love that. And the, through that prayer, we can go out into the world knowing what we believe. Anyway, I'm just going to beg an extra minute <laughs> from Craig because I want to end with just another passage. So back to Listen with Mother. This is, you can close your eyes if you want. Um, this is the end of the last battle. 
There was a real railway accident, Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But all the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can mostly, truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, this was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and the next were the adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the greatest story on earth, which no one has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the last. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the life everlasting. Amen. Oh,